right. So it is good to be back with y'all. We're doing something this summer that's different. Usually I preach book by book, right? I jump into a book, we preach all the way to the end of it, or at least through a major section of it. Uh, This summer I'm kind of uh, going through what I consider to be the foundations, the basics of our faith. And so uh, four weeks ago, three weeks ago, our first week that we did this, uh, we talked about who is God, what makes God God. And we found out, just looking predominantly at the book of Genesis, that he's a creator, that he's holy, that he's just, that he's good. There's some of these attributes of who God is, uh, and, and that he is this good, just, creating God. And that kind of carries the entirety of the Bible. If you read the Bible, you see the character of God is not just revealed uh, a little bit in Genesis. And then when you flip to Exodus, you have a different God. And you flip to Joshua, you have a different God. It's one God, uh, and we can see his character holds all the way through. Then the next week, we talked about who are we? What, 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 what is it about you that makes you special? And it starts with the fact that you're the prime jewel of God's creation. You know, when God finished creating mankind, he's like, and there it is, I'm done. I have done uh, a very good thing. And he stopped at that point, and he said, creation is now accomplished. I've created these people. And then he gives us this, this image, barrenness, that we look like God in some ways, that we have some, something about us that resembles God in our minds and in our ability to, to, to be creative, right? There's some things about us that are similar to God and different than the rest of the animal kingdom. Um, and then he gives us this free will, this choice, right, um, as well, which is what lets us do all sorts of fun things and bad things and good things and everything in between is we have free will. The problem with free will is that ultimately we chose to abuse that. And if you know the story of the Bible, you know that there's a story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? And they're at the very beginning of the Bible. It's Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and they walk up to a tree, and, and Eve has been talking to a snake for some reason, and the snake says, why don't you eat the tree? And Eve says, oh, okay, sounds like a good idea. Now, they had, she'd already been told not to eat of that tree. It was the one rule that God gave. You know, sometimes when we get one rule, that rule is too much for us to handle, right? This one rule. You know, if my mom and dad left me home alone and said, don't do this one specific thing, It'd be very tough for me not to do that one specific thing, right? If they gave me 100 rules, I could probably keep 85 of them, right? And I'd still break 15, right? But if you give me one rule, the chance of me breaking that one rule is real high. I remember, and I think I've shared this here, I was in physics as a junior uh, in high school, and I was sitting beside a, a button that said, do not push my entire time. And of course, if you're sitting next to a button, it was a big, bright red button that said, do not push. And then underneath it, I think it said emergency, um, so, you know, whatever's in that button is good stuff. So one day I, I pushed that button, and you know what happened? The United States of America bombed Pakistan that day. I'm just saying, possibly that button at Stephen F. Austin High School set off a chain of events that led us to bombing Pakistan back in like 1998-99, okay? Maybe not, maybe not. Now, I asked my teacher afterwards uh, because I felt a little guilty about bombing Pakistan, as one would. Uh, and I said, what, what does this button do that, you know, we're not supposed to push that says emergency? And apparently it shut off the high voltage table. There was like lab tables back there. And if someone was getting electrocuted, you'd push that and it would shut the power off to those tables. So I feel better that maybe I didn't actually uh, engage in any major warfare in that moment. But there was one rule, do not push. And I'm sitting next to it and I'm thinking, I mean, I, I, I did. It took me weeks to, to break up the nerve to finally break that rule, but I did. Adam and Eve have one rule, do not eat from this tree, and they walk by the tree a hundred times, I'm sure, and they're like, that's a nice looking tree, and they go around and eat the rest of the stuff, and, and then one day, they're walking by, a snake says, why don't you eat the tree, they said, we're not supposed to, the snake says, well, you know, it's actually pretty good, so they eat of the tree, 
and sin enters the world. And sin is this idea that we have chosen to do what is not good. Right? We've chosen to do the thing that's not good. Everything that God made was good. Everything that God did was good. The tree itself wasn't bad, right? It was part of God's good created order. It was just bad for Adam and Eve. And so he said, don't eat of that tree. It's not good for you. But sin is whenever we hear from God, when God says, this isn't good for you, and we say, I'm going to do that anyways. Right? Even though you say it's not good for me, it looks good for me. Right? And that's what the Bible, you know, Eve looks with her eyes and sees that the fruit is pleasing to the eye and you know, useful to make one wise. And so she takes and eats and then she gives some to her husband who's with her. The idea is she looks and she says, I know God says it's bad for me, but everything about it says it's good. And that's what sin is, right? We all have sins like this in our lives. You know, the Bible says very clearly, don't do that. But you know, it looks so good. <clears throat> you know, the Bible spends a lot of time talking about this idea of like, you know, love of money and coveting and and the idea of, of being content with what you've been given. But you know what? Other people have looks so good, right? We want it. It leads to theft. It leads to a, a desire in your heart that's never satisfied with what you have, right? You look at what you have, and you look at your stuff, and you're like, well, their stuff's a lot better. And so you spend all of your time and effort looking at other people's stuff to aspire to get their stuff. You finally save up enough money to get their stuff, and then you look at their stuff that you now have, and you're like, someone else has got something better, right? It's better boat syndrome, right? You got a boat, and you're out, and you're fishing in the boat. Everything feels pretty good. You're like, I got a good boat. It floats, and then someone just comes zooming by you, and you're like, now there's a boat, right? And so you figure out where that boat is, and you get that boat, and now you're zooming across the lake, and then boom. I was, uh, this is two years ago now, I was out at the lake at my parents' house, and my brother's got a nice little ski boat, because why not? Uh, and, uh, and so he's out there, and we're out on his boat. And there's one of these boats. I, I don't know what it's powered by. I think it's powered by, like, grain alcohol. I don't know. I mean, it is a massive, like, hugely loud, insane. I've never seen a boat like this on a lake before. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, whoa, that's a boat. But I guarantee that guy goes somewhere with his boat, and he looks out, and he's like, man, I wish I had that guy's boat. Right? We have this coveting nature inside of ourselves, and the Bible tells us not to do that. Right? Over and over again, it tells us not to do that, but we do it. Every one of us covets something that someone else has in some way, in some form. Maybe it's an ability. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's a trip. We've got all this like, social media nonsense now where like, you see someone, everyone takes perfect trips now. Right? You look at your vacation, and you get to the hotel, and it's 10 at night, and you're exhausted, and you're wearing terrible clothes because you were traveling, and and you check in, you get in there, and there's a Coke can sitting on the counter in your room. What is going on? But you look at someone else's vacation on Facebook or Instagram, and you're like, everything about their life is perfect. You know, they're checking at the hotel at 3 in the afternoon somehow, and they look perfect. And, you know, they're walking around, and, you know, the, the, the view is ideal. And you're like, that's never my vacation. Now, you don't see the rest of their trip, right? They don't show you every portion of it. But through the curated lens that we're allowed to have in social media, everything looks perfect. And we say, I want that trip. And then you save up and you get that trip and it turns out that doesn't do it either. See, see we're, we're, we're sinful people by nature. Covening is one of those sins I think we all share. I'm, I apologize for fiddling with my ear all the time, guys. It really does bother me. Uh, covening is one of those sins we all share, so it's pretty easy. But we all have sins that we fall into. 
Some sins are easier for you to avoid than others, but we all have areas where Satan is found, where the evil one is found, where the snake is found, a weakness in you, and he comes up next to you, and, and he says, hey, have you thought about this sin? And you're like, well, you know, God says not to do that sin, and he's like, well, I mean, did he really say for you than that? And you know, have you looked at the original languages and the translation of the such and such so that we can abuse the Bible to make it say what we want it to say? Right? Have, you, have we really looked closely at what the word really means when he says no? And so we've all fallen into this sin sickness. And so we get into to the, the rest of the story of the Bible. And it's this broken people that God made to be good. Right? God made you to be good. He made you to be very good. He made you to be in a good relationship with him. This Garden of Eden experience that we see in Genesis uh, chapter 2 is what God made us to be in. Where God walks among us and talks among us and we're, and we're living in harmony with the creation and with one another. Right? It's supposed to be this, this, this peaceful world between man and God, and then it's all busted. And we blame Adam and Eve because they chose to eat a fruit, but you have chosen as well. Over and over again, you have chosen your uh, own view of righteousness over God's view of righteousness. Right? God says, be honest, and then your boss says, well, why were you late today? And the answer is because you stayed up too late last night, binge-washing something, and so then you, you know, slept in and you were late today, and you say traffic, right? And I know that, that excuse doesn't play well in Rockdale, but we've got construction now, right? So we can, we can use it in Rockdale even, like traffic, right? I ran into traffic. I don't know what happened, right? Or, or you didn't prepare a sermon and you say COVID. No, that's not true. That's, that's not what happened last week, right? <laughs> right? But you, you know, you find, a, you find an excuse and you kind of hedge the truth, right? The bills due and the company calls says, where's our money? And you're like, oh no, it's in the mail, yeah, it's in the mail tomorrow, but it's in the mail, right? We, we, we just hedge the truth, right? We have sins, and we all do this. You know, the Bible says that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You are not unique in the idea that you have your own view of justice, right? You have your own view of righteousness, and you have fallen short of God's actual decree of righteousness. And because of that, death came into the world. That was the consequence of sin, right? The snake asked, what happens if you eat of the tree? He says, if we eat of the tree or touch it, and that's not what he said, but if we eat of the tree, we will surely die. The snake says, that's not what's going to happen, but Satan's a liar, always has been. And you know what happened? They died. That's the end of their story. Adam and Eve aren't hanging out with us today, right? We can't ask them, why were you talking to a snake? Right? We have to, you know, kind of wonder, why were you talking to a snake? Right? They died, and death has been with us ever since then. Not just physical death, but we have this spiritual death as well. And the Bible talks about that extensively, that there's this separation, there's this chasm between a holy, righteous God and the sinful, broken mankind. And we tried to bridge that gap. The entire Old Testament is about trying to bridge that gap. And so animal after animal after animal after animal was sacrificed. We got, a, we got a clean, spotless lamb. We're going to kill this spotless lamb to take over the sins that you just committed. Right? And we do it over and over and over and over again, and it never really covers. It's temporary covering. It works for a season, and then you walk away from the altar where you just sacrificed your, your lamb or your sheep, <coughs> and then you find someone you've got an issue with, and you cuss them in your mind, and now you've got to offer another thing, and another thing, 
And another thing, the number of animals that were offered up to, to try to make atonement uh, is limitless, and it was not a functional system. And God saw that that wasn't going to work, and so God sent his son, Jesus Christ. The foundation we're going to talk about is who is Christ and what did he do today. Romans chapter 5 is a wonderful place to see this. Paul is writing uh, to, to the church in Rome, and he's encouraging them. If you've never spent any time reading the book of Romans, I would encourage you to do so uh, this week. What a beautiful, powerful book. Martin Luther, the leader of the Protestant Reformation, right? Uh, you know, one day sat down, read the book of Romans. The next day said, I can't do what I'm doing any longer. They were selling indulgences and, you know, the idea that the mass was somehow leading about to, to sanctification, that you were being healed from your sins because of what was going on. And the church service says, I can't do this anymore because Romans shows us so clear. If you never spent time in the book of Romans, take some time this summer and go through the book of Romans. Uh, I've been encouraged to preach through the book of Romans. Maybe one day, guys. Maybe one day. You'll get, you'll get a little bit today. Though. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to skip just a little bit today, but we'll read uh, verse 1 to start. It says this. He says, therefore, and what is therefore talking about? Because we've been declared righteous uh, by our faith, right? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'm going to stop there just, just real quick. So Paul is writing about, about this, this idea of how we become into this, this idea of becoming part of God's kingdom. How we move from death to life. How we move from condemnation into being declared righteous. How do we do that, right? If the story of the Bible is the story of broken people who are distant from God, how does God fix that problem? Because the animals weren't doing it. And the first thing we see is that we have been justified by faith. Justified means that you are being declared righteous, right? That, that, that you are no longer under the condemnation, right? It's just as if I never sinned, right? You are being looked at by God as righteous, right, by your faith. That is the simple gospel truth. There is no amount of works that you can do to obtain righteousness, right? You can't be good enough. You, you're at church today, uh, when it's going to be 107 degrees outside, and I'm sure you'll get a gold star with someone, right? Someone, someone's going to be like, I mean, you went to church today, it's 107 degrees outside. Good job, gold star. But God does not give you a gold star and say, hey, you went to church today. That work right there earns you, you know, a little bit less of the, the you know, punishment for your sin, right? God is not washing away your sins for what you've done you're not justified by your works. You're not justified by your church tenants. You're not justified by what you put in the offering plate. You're not justified by any of those things. You're justified. You're declared righteous by faith. And as we know, by faith alone. And what is faith? Faith is an interesting word. Uh, and the best way that I can describe it is through a picture, right? Uh, Y'all sat down on those pews today. Some of you have sat on the same pew for 30 years, so you feel pretty comfortable knowing that's pew as well. But some of you are sitting in a new pew today. You haven't sat there before. Maybe it's been a while. And, and you did not, I did not see anyone come in here today and examine the hardware of these pews to make sure they're still okay. 
None of you crawled underneath and looked under. And these pews could use some work. I mean, they could stab you if you sit in the wrong one. Right? None of you looked at it. You all just had faith that if you put all of your weight into that pew, it's going to hold you up. You just sat right down. It wasn't okay. I think that's good. You know, I, uh, I was at Highland Lakes last year doing, they have a zip line, and it is a big zip line. It's like a two-part zip line, and you're way high on the first part. And I went up there, and I'm not like super skittish about heights, but I don't love the idea of plunging to my death, okay? So that's kind of where I am on that. And so like you got some like 17-year-old or 19-year-old hooking you up to save your life, right? That you're looking at the kid who's hooking you up, and then you're looking at your body, and you're looking at the kid, and you're like, and I remember this, right, because, like, you know, your heart's kind of doing the thing, like, this is not a good idea. And so I kind of grab onto the, the pulley or the little whatever system you're latched onto there, and I'm kind of, like, pulling on it, right? Like, before I'm going to run and jump off of this, because that's what you have to do. Like, it was like a, like a, like a movie. You're running, and you just jump. It's great fun. But, like, I'm pulling on, and I'm kind of picking my feet off the ground to make sure, like, because I don't want to die. Right? I, I, have, I have faith that this thing can hold me. I know it can. But I'm looking at the 17 or 19-year-old who's hooking me up. And I want to verify that faith. None of y'all did that with the pews, though. Because you just trusted that they were going to work. That if you put all of yourself into them, that they would hold you up just as they were designed to do. See, faith in God is very similar. It's putting all of you every bit of you, not, not holding some back on like, well, maybe if I'm good, right, I'm going to help God a little bit here. I'm going to hold my own weight a little bit here. Putting all of you into God's hand and saying, God, I trust that you can make me righteous. That I don't, I, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to kind of go to church. And I, I'm not down on church attendance, obviously. Like, like, but but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make myself righteous. I'm not going to help you out any. You can't help God. And so faith is just, just putting it all there in God's hands, saying, God, I'm going to trust you and you alone. I'm not trusting something else. I'm giving all of myself to this. And if it were to fail, if it were to fail, I would have nothing else to hold on to. You know, ultimately when I jumped off like an action movie superstar on that zip line, right, like I put all of my faith into like I don't even know, <laughs> like a very small device, right? And if it had failed, I would not be here today. That would have been it for Pastor Matt Higginbotham. My family might have got a settlement from Highland Lakes, good for y'all, um, but that would have been it for me because I put everything I had trusting that thing. You know, if God were to fail, and that's against his character, just so you know, like, I would be utterly and completely wrecked. Paul says, if the resurrection of Jesus were not true, I'm to be pitied more than anyone else on earth. Because the resurrection, right, that, that, that idea that Christ can conquer sin and death is exactly what our hope is found in. So are you justified by faith? Or are you truly putting all of your faith in Jesus Christ, right? Through, we, have faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Guys, not only have we, have we been justified, we've obtained grace. We've obtained this unmerited favor. You are here today, and God has given you un, 
unmerited favor. You are, you are living under the, the graceful hand of God. Some people think of Christianity as a future-based religion. Like, in a day, one day in the future, I will see God. One day I will go to heaven. Right When this mortal coil is shuffled off and I cross the veil, then I will, I will be with God. But, but Christianity is, is a future religion. We do have future promises. But today, if you're living justified by faith today, today you live underneath the graceful hand of God. The same God who created the universe out of nothing, who just spoke it into existence, the God who has the, the power to, to do all things, you live in his good favor. What a wonderful place to be. We don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. It's unmerited. We have obtained that through faith, not through works. Jump down to verse 6 for me. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in, the, in that, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is the object of our faith? It is right there in verses 6 through 8. The object of our faith is that Christ died for sinners while we were sinners. Christ didn't die for you because you were going to be good. <clears throat> Excuse me. He didn't die for you because you, you, you were going to be something else. He died for you even while you were an enemy of his, even while you were opposed to him. You know, it says like scarcely would someone die for a good person, much less for a wretched sinner. Right? Think about your worst enemy, the person who's done you the most harm in your life, the, 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 the person who's just absolutely caused you the most pain in your life. And the question is, would you die for them? Right? Trolley problem situation right now, right? You're laying on the track. You can switch the trolley to either track. You're on one track. Your worst enemy's on the other. Where do you send the trolley? Someone's getting run over. Who do you let get run over? The answer for most of us is like, I'm not going to get hit by that trolley when that person who's done this, 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 and our list is so well itemized, by the way. We're very good at keeping lists of other people's wrongs. Not so good at our own, by the way. Right? We, we send the trolley over there because we're not willing to die for the unjust and the, and the wicked, but God sent Christ to die even for us while we were sinners. Right? And that's what gives me such hope because, guys, I was not a perfect person before Jesus found me. And I wasn't living the holy life. I was in church, so that was good, I guess. But I wasn't a good person. I wasn't righteous by my own. But God saw fit to bring me salvation. Guys, Christ died for us even while we were sinners. Which means a couple things for us. First of all, that's the object of our faith. The one who would die for the, for, for the wicked is the one that we serve. His death was able to cover your sins. What a wonderful thing that is. But also, that person who's on the other trolley line from you, who you're sending the trolley to run over instead of yourself, like Christ died for them. Even though they're wicked. Some of them are criminals. right? Not just bad people, but absolutely criminal people. Christ died for them. Doesn't mean they don't need to go to jail, but Christ died for them too. What a wonderful picture that is that God is not selective looking only for those who are good enough today. 
Right? That's how great God is, that he looks at all of us and says, I'll bring salvation to everyone who would, right, what do they need to do? Put their faith to be justified by faith in me. Verse, verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So what we do, the object of our faith is Jesus, what he did on the cross, that he would die for us. Right? When he died on the cross, he died in your place and in my place. That is the object of what we put our faith in. And because of that, because we're, because we're justified through our faith in Jesus Christ, right? we are saved from the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is real. It's not, it's not some like theoretical concept that somebody will never experience. You know, the Catholic Church has slowly moved towards universalism, right? That like you can go to purgatory and you'll pay your sins off over the next, you know, billion years or whatever and, and you'll be okay. And it doesn't matter how good or bad you were, eventually your sins will be purged from you through a, a very painful time and purgatory, but that's not true. The wrath of God is genuinely real. There will be people who will live eternity uh, in the wrath of God, right? They will experience the full wrath of God for the entirety of existence. And we're saved from that, right? We're saved from that through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's true, and it is, and we need to be talking to some people about that. Right, the wrath of God, my youth pastor that I grew up with, I had six or seven youth pastors, so it's tough for me to say my youth pastor, but the guy who was the best youth pastor for me the right time when I needed him. But he just, God just put him there in that season for my life. Uh, you know, he told me years after uh, we were, we were, I was grown at this point, he said, you know, Matt, you know, the doctrine of hell, like that there is a place called hell where unprepared people will live out eternity, separated from God. He said it is not an evangelistic force to be shared uh, predominantly or, or primarily to the lost. Telling a lost person that they're going to hell is not necessarily what they need to hear. Telling someone who's, who, who, who has no concept of God, telling them that they're, they're going to burn forever is not necessarily what they need to hear. Now, I'm not saying it's not what the outcome will be. That's not what they need to hear. But it is what we, as the church, need to hear. You know, that your brother or your sister or your aunt or your son or your daughter or your neighbor is going to be eternally separated from God, living underneath the hand of God and his wrath forever, should motivate you to go tell them about how much God loves them. I should motivate you. Like, like that's the outcome that you see with all certainty for them. If that's true, they're going to spend eternity in hell, then you need to do everything you can to try to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. And so we go into the dangerous places, and we go have awkward conversations, and we go have weird encounters with people. And people say, well, you're a zealot, or you're crazy, or all you want to talk about is Jesus. But the truth is, there is no other name under, which heaven, uh, under heaven in which anyone can be saved. And so we lift up Jesus. And you have those awkward conversations. 
and you sit down with the people that you love and you tell them about how much God loves them. And you try to paint them the picture that they're separated from God, but that God did everything in his power to bring us back through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And if Christ would die for sinners like you, and some of you know your story well enough to know that that's very true for you, if he would die for you, then he'll die for that person that you love as well. Or he died already for that person that you love as well. So share the story of God's love. Let hell motivate you. Let the wrath of God motivate you to go and to tell people the good news. Don't share the bad news. Don't make the bad news the gospel because that's no gospel at all. You're going to hell. It's not gospel. That's bad news. Christ died for sinners is good news. Christ brings hope to the lost. Christ restores broken people. That is the gospel good news. And we have a message to share. Let's share it this week. That's what Christ did. Now, you may be here today, and maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You heard me talk a lot about hell. Just reason. You're like, well, that doesn't sound good. I want you to know, uh, I want nothing more for you than you to live underneath the graceful hand of God. I think you can be found and, and given the unmerited favor of God. And the way that happens is to put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Stop trusting in being good. Stop trusting in being holy. Stop trusting in being righteous. You aren't those things. I don't care who you are. You're better than me. Good job. Not that, not that impressive, by the way, just so you know. Being better than the pastor, at least this pastor, not, not a high bar to jump over. I hope most of y'all are doing that daily. It's not about being better than me. It's about being perfect, as God is perfect. And you, you haven't been perfect. But Christ saw you in your imperfection and died on the cross so that you could be saved. Believe in him today. If you're a believer in here today, the message is pretty simple. Praise God for salvation as it's been given to you. That you unmerited, without any of your own righteousness being accounted for, he just gave you salvation. And then go share that message with the world. They need that message. Let me pray.